I have made my peace. Ooh-wee, I can feel that. I'm Becky. I'm Jen. And this is our second podcast. First one from me. I am going to be doing mine over this a This is man. too close to home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is too close to home. I mean, if you're with us, you know now. I mean, right? Have, if you just landed on this randomly, how are you doing it? How do you live your life? Do you just... How can you just, like... With, like, podcasts, I have to... It takes me forever to find a new one. I can't just, like... Oh, let's just try this out. No. I have to oh, I do. It. I just randomly pick ones. <sighs> and then I listen for the first little bit. And depending on whether or not their voices annoy me is whether I continue listening or not. That's really the only grounds I have for picking them. <laughs> well, they gotta be over crime. That's all I listen to. It's crime podcasts. But That's it. I mean, crime, check. Oh my god, you nailed it. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't like the ones that are too, um, uh, too bookish in the sense of there's, uh, you know, just the story and nothing else. I need yeah. a little bit of witty banter. I mean, well, then you've come to the right place. <laughs> right, so if you're into that kind of thing, <laughs> we're your girls. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be over Anthony Allen Shores, who terrorized Houston, Texas, and was dubbed the Tourniquet Killer. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So... I'm just gonna start out. Let's hear that by quote again. You. I need to hear that quote again. Cause did you get the you did you add the ooey or was that in it? That was him. That was him. He said, "I have made my peace." Ooey, I can feel that. And we'll get to that later on about what he was talking about. I feel like being called at like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a pig, so well, nailed it. <laughs> So, for over 15 years, Mr. Anthony Shores terrorized Houston. Everybody says from the outside that he seemed like a loving father and husband, but not so much. Anthony was born on June 25th, 1962, in Rapid City, South Dakota, to Robert Indiana Shore. His parents were both in the military, so you know they moved all over the place. Um, He had two younger sisters, Laurel and... I have Gina, but I don't think that's right, because that was his wife, but maybe. You know, Gina? Be trying to auto-correct me on here. I mean, that's going to change the story quite a bit if it's this. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's both. Right? <laughs> Could be. Just wait. So the family moved frequently, went over, and he settled in Houston, Texas when he was 21. Little Age about child? Anthony's. Right? Little about, about Anthony's childhood. Anthony showed... Red flag behavior very early on. The first thing that I could find that he did was he killed a neighbor's cat, which is part of the... McDonald triad. Yes. He was only five years old. Ooh. Yeah. He killed it after he was told by his sister that he could not play with the neighbor's cat. So then... I mean, because that's a logical solution. Yeah. Oh. He decided later on to go shove a screwdriver into his sister's head, too, at five years old. Did she die? No. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm That's guessing make, at five he didn't have the strength enough to really... Like, get it in there? Yeah. It's going to make Thanksgiving awkward, though. <laughs> right? Remember that time? <laughs> I don't know if those one of those remember that time stories. <laughs> well, I mean, if she's, like, his cousin and sister, I don't know. <laughs> cousin wife. Cousin wife. <laughs> when he was nine, uh, they moved to Alabama. Oh, okay, then, then nailed it. 
<laughs> this is where that's he, what we call foreshadowing, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is where he first started being bullied. People described him as always being mad and afraid, and this is when he started saying he did not believe in God because that always seems to be the theme, you know. And then they'll dive back into religion later. So up to this point, his parents were always fighting. They both were having numerous affairs. Did not have a storybook childhood. And in 1972, his family moved to Florida. This point, his parents separated. And I, I had a little bit of trouble finding out who he was living with at the time. But at age 13 is when he had his first sexual encounter. Ooh. And it was with his mother. Okay. All right. Alabama. Yeah. Roll Tide. So I tried to look that up because this is what he said, and you'll find throughout the theme is he lies a mm-hmm. lot. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. I could not find anything else other than when he had an interview with a psychologist that he said that. Psychologist, psychiatrist, one of them. An ist. Yes, exactly. So shortly after this, his parents got divorced, and at age 14, he is said to have had what he called the big event in his life. And this is when his father picked him up from school instead of his mother. And he said his life changed, and he knew she would stop molesting him at this point. At age 16, he started drinking and smoking pot. This was the same age. So that's like the, but, you know, that's sad. And like, that's the tamest thing in his life at that point. Right. He's done killed cats and shit. And stabbed his sister with a screwdriver. his mama. Yeah. Banging his mom. Like, well, now I'm going backwards. We're going to go back to the gateways. <laughs> yeah. But when he started drinking and smoking pot... This is when he started having his sister have bring her friends to the house, and he started stalking and harassing them and molesting them. And I don't want to to make it seem like it was less than what he did, but it was just petty things, as in touching them and whatnot. He didn't rape anyone or do that. Still, I'm not, you know, saying no big deal. It was a big deal, <laughs> but it wasn't All a big deal as what deal. he goes on to do. At 17, he dropped out of high school. This is when his mother remarried. He did not like his stepfather, so he got illegal, illegally, legally emancipated, started working two jobs, and when he turned 21 is when he moved to Texas. That is where he met Jenna Lynn Worley, or Gina, whichever way they pronounce it, oh his God, first wife. It's like the most fucking country name. Jenna Lynn! <laughs> he claims that she was the love of his life. One year later, at 22, he marries her. And everything seemed to be going good. She described him as charming. They always are. Charismatic when they first started dating. And after only one year, they got married. They went on to have two daughters just a year later. The first child was Amber. She was born and she was autistic. A year later, in 1985, they had their second daughter and Tiffany. She was born. So only a year after having his second child, he began his killings. He murdered his first victim on September 26, 1986. Ooh, only a year before I was born. <laughs> While walking home from school, school, Shores kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and strangled 15-year-old Lori Lee Tremblay. So, according to Shores, whether you want to believe what he says or not, in his confession, he says, so he was working at Southwestern Bell. He was a telephone dude. And he would go outside on breaks, and that was where her bus stop was to catch the bus to go to school. He says they started having conversations, and then he started giving her rides to school. They became friends. He said they started fooling around. But other people dispute that greatly because she had enough cash on her to catch the bus and had been catching the bus. 
Yeah. So you can't be doing two things. It seems with a lot of his victims, he creates these fantasies. relationships. Yeah, yeah, fantasies. He even says he has these fantasies, but I think somewhere he got mixed with what his fantasy was and what the reality of what he did actually happen. So. I hope I never end up in one of those fantasies. Uh, right? Oof. So like I said, he claimed they had a relationship, but I'm not going to go into all the details of what he said they did because he's a fucking pervert. Mm-hmm. And he was obsessed with little girls. Anyway, during one of these rides, he became sexually aggressive towards her and tried to unhook her bra. She screamed for him to stop. They began arguing. He got scared that she would report him. And he said, all I could think was I was going to lose everything. My house, my wife, my kids. So, he strangled her. He used a cotton cord to strangle her. And he said that the cord kept breaking while he was doing it. And that he was holding it so tight that he injured his fingers. Like, cut into his fingers. And he was strangling her so hard that he actually left a knuckle impression in the back of her head when they found her. Yeah. Did he, like, get it there? Like, the rope? Or did you think he brought it with him? He says it was just in the van and that he grabbed it. But you'll see later on that I don't think it was. I think he had it there with the intention he knew what he was going to do with it. Oh, look at me. I just brought my trusty rope. Yeah. It's not just like... Hanging around. It's not like Wonder Woman's last of the truth. <laughs> He later dumped her body behind a Nina's restaurant. He threw her out and he went to leave. And he said he got up the street and he started getting real scared. Did anyone see him? Did they know he dumped the body? Are they going to know what happened to her? So he turned around and his plan was to go back and run her over with the car. I don't know. I don't know what his logic was. Maybe to make it look, he thought he would throw them off. You know, she's got a big strangle mark on her neck, but... Was he crazy? Because, like, could you imagine, like, he's, like, a crazy person, like, I know what to do next. Oh, run her over. Yeah. Turn around. They'll never know. Yeah. So he goes back. Forget the rope around the neck. But he said he got there, and there were now people out at the business across the street. So he could not run her over. So he just turned around and bounced. The only smart thing he did. He said afterwards he was super paranoid and he swore to himself he was never going to do it again. Claims that he had all this remorse and, you know, that it was never planned to kill her. He just did it to save himself. We've all heard that before. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that's not the case because he goes on to kill some more people. He said later he began to hear crazy thoughts in his head, almost like voices and fantasies about picking up other girls and tying them up. Supposedly he did not murder again until April 16th, 1992. So that's a long cooldown period. Exactly, but at the end, I'm going to tell you about some girls that he is linked to that they believe he killed, and I 100% believe he did. Because there's no way that, I mean, I guess when you do the first victim, you could be like, maybe he really didn't intend to, and he waited a while. But the fact that he goes on to do it multiple other times tells me there was no six-year cooldown period. No, it just doesn't happen. Like if they do that, it's got to be like usually it's like it gets smaller and smaller incrementally. It's not like a big space and then yeah. No. So, during this time that he was not killing, he worked, he raised his daughter, and he played music in blues clubs. Everybody loved him, said he was great. Now, two years after his first murder, there was a murder on September 26, 1988. Although there's been speculation that he murdered Sandra Charles and her three-year-old nephew, Marcel Taylor. Somebody else was actually convicted and executed for the crimes, but I'll give you the details about that at the end. So on April 16th, 1992, Shores kidnapped, sexually assaulted. Which you're like keeping me in the hook. Like, I'm just going to leave in the middle of this. <laughs> you like, gotta come back. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but not until the end, baby. 
gotta wait till the end. Because <laughs> there's quite a few girls they think he did. Dang it, man. So he kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and strangled 21-year-old Carmen Estrada. Carmen was a very pretty girl. She was petite at only 5'1 and 104 pounds. She worked as a nanny during the days and night shift as a maid for an office building. She lived with her parents. And every morning she would go to the bus stop. She would catch the bus and she would go to her job. So this is where Shores first noticed her. According to the bus driver, she was always the first one on the bus. And he described her as painfully shy. He said she'd barely even say hi to you. She went and sat by herself. But she didn't speak real good English. So she didn't really socialize. And he just said every morning she was there at the same time to get on the bus. Every day, got on the bus. He'd say hi to her. She'd say hi. And he said as time went on, she would talk a little bit more. But she was just a very shy girl. On April 16th, when the bus arrived, Carmen was not there waiting for the bus. The driver became worried. So he said he stayed and waited about five minutes, thinking maybe she's just running a little late. But then he had to go. Instead of being at the bus stop, unfortunately, Carmen was dead behind the Dairy Queen. According to Shore, he saw Carmen. He thought she was beautiful, so he offered her a ride, but she declined. He said he did this several times on the way to work, and when he would see her, and she always said no. He said she would tell him, I don't speak English, and I don't take rides from people I don't know. Um, that's it, girl. I know, right? Smart girl. Only bad thing is I wish she would have known them when he kept coming by, like, change your route or something, baby, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, those are those tips and tricks that, like... You listen, listen to these mamas right here, right now. Yeah. Somebody following you and you see them and they're making you uncomfortable and it becomes a regular occurrence. Say something, change your schedule, change when you're going, have somebody walk with you because these people like BTK, he would watch his victims for a while be, what's his name? The golden state killer. He did the same thing. Watch victims for a while before coming after them so and that appears to be what he does because he knows a lot about their lives you'll see later he knows about where the victims went to high school where they played sports at all of this because he tells them so he i think when he creates these fantasies it's when he's watching them because he always thinks he's in a relationship like he said with her that she finally took a ride because the weather was bad one day per him and then he said they started talking all the time and they started a relationship. I'm using air bunnies. You just can't see it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And that's the cutest thing. That's like my most kindergarten teacher. Okay, air bunnies, kids. <laughs> yes, so look at them. Look at them. Little, little bunny poo-poo hopping through the floor. <laughs> no, sorry. So he said basically the same thing with Carmen is what happened with Lori. Things just got out of hand one day. He claims he consensually kissed her and tried to pursue things, but she said no. And supposedly, this is where the bastard really gets on my nerves. He said that Carmen told him, I love you, but I just don't want it this way, not here. And that she was in love with him and they had this relationship. But remember, the bus driver seen her every day. And the only day she didn't catch the bus is that day. So I think like when he sits there and watches them, he creates these things that he wants mm-hmm. to happen. And then when he replays it, he gets lost in what's true and what's not. He convinces himself. He's in it. Yes. Yes. I mean, I get immersed in my fantasies, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, when I'm reading a book, like, it becomes, like, reality, you know? But you don't see me, like... No. Could you imagine him was, like, sitting in the, like, on the bus, like, creepily smiling and talking to himself, like, oh, how was your day? Oh, no, I think he just sat in his, like, truck parked over oh, watching her. Yeah. It's even worse. Even creepier, right? So, she fought back. He ends up strangling her. But this time is when he incorporated a piece of wood to make it a ligature to twist... So he wouldn't hurt his finger again. Because poor little him, you know, he hurt his finger the first time. Not my pinky. Yeah. 
And that's exactly what he said in his interview. I didn't want to hurt my fingers again. So, like I said, we know a lot of this is a lie because the bus driver said this was the first time she didn't show up. We knew she told him no, she wouldn't get in the car before. And she had a boyfriend that she was engaged to. And the sweet girl that she was was still a virgin because she wasn't having sex till she got married. So you expect me to believe this little girl, pure, innocent girl, little girl. I know she's 21, but that's still a little girl. And those days, was though? messing around with you in the car, but yet she was not having sex with her fiancé until they got married. Come on, bro. Come at me with something better than that. Like, seriously. So, yeah. And then we know that the autopsy showed... Oh, he also said that during the struggle, she got, like, too feisty when he strangled her so that he did not have sex with her. He did not rape her. But we know this is a lie because they found blood in her vagina and contusions. So she had clearly been yeah. assaulted. His DNA was also recovered off of her body. Her body was found later that same day behind the Dairy Queen. Also, her what? clothes were to, cut Does off. he just, like, leaving them behind the Dairy Queen? Well, the other one was behind Nina's restaurant. Oh, okay. This one's behind Dairy Queen. Yeah. Different, oh, it's like... But restaurants, I yeah. I mean... It's just... It's, yeah. Can you put me somewhere classier, like a Chick-fil-A? <laughs> <laughs> right? Not somewhere where they take powder and turn it into gravy, okay? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, in the police report, it said that Carmen's shirt was cut off. So, we know that he had a knife on him as well. So, a lot of people conclude they think he forced her by knife into the car, and that's oh, how he yeah. got her in there. She, he knew she'd be at the bus stop by herself, so he got her and a knife she's a point. tiny little thing. And yeah. And don't hardly speak any English. So, she, someone comes up waving a knife at you. All right, bro, I'll go wherever. You probably don't, yeah, I don't even know what they're saying. Yeah, you're just going to do as they well, say. Keep it, keep it calm, keep it cool. <laughs> right. Be cool, be cool, be cool. So Till that, it wasn't. Till it wasn't. <laughs> so that murder was in 92. The next year in 93, Shores and his first wife get Oh, divorced. this is so creepy thinking about this happening and we're just kids at this time. Just I know. Just 90s things, slap bracelets and shit. I know. And you got this guy over here doing all this horrific crap. And this is the time our parents used to let us run the street till the, the lights, lights came, came on. on. Yeah. Yeah. No cell phones. And, no and if you came after the lights came on... Like, you would get in trouble, but it wasn't the end of the world. They weren't calling the cops. Yeah, exactly. So, after that murder in 93, him and his first wife get divorced after he admits to having an affair. I couldn't really find a lot of information about the mom and what happened with the divorce. But I do know that... So, the kids, their two daughters, were living with the mom for a little while. And they would go on the weekends to his house. And then the mom ended up giving them to him. So, they went and lived full-time with this man. And apparently it was because the daughter does an interview and said all she ever heard the parents argue about was, I have things to do other than take care of these kids. They said they grew up feeling very unloved and unwanted, which is very sad. The girls say he was very abusive to them. He would hold pillows over their face and almost smother them when they got in trouble. Their house had cockroaches. He used to make them eat peanut butter out of this tub that had ants in it, and that was all they could have while he would make steaks for himself on the grill. And then they had to clean the kitchen. I just wondered if that was, like, every parent, though, in the 90s. Because I remember, like, cereal and ants, like, the little pissed sugar ants that we get in the house. Because I grew up in Florida. We'd always fucking have those bitches. Okay, and then we'd, right <laughs> we'd be eating our cereal. I'd be like, oh, no, Daddy, ants. He'd be like, that's just protein. <laughs> but was he cooking a steak on the... No, man, it was breakfast. Okay, okay. <laughs> he might have had some eggs That's or something. a little different. <laughs> These girls had to eat peanut butter and bread for every meal. Oh. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying I was, like, just the whole... I'm, Brought my cute little memory up. <laughs> Look at them being so adorable. adorable. <laughs> uh, 
clearly different childhoods. <laughs> At this time, while his daughters were living with him, is where he began to sexually molest them and rape his own daughters. He would... I don't have a memory for that one. Good. <laughs> Good. Ooh. Ooh. His daughter said they used to make them hot cocoa every night and that the hot cocoa tasted weird. And they uh. just thought that it was like cheap hot cocoa, but he was drugging them every night. Oh, God. And raping them while they were passed out. Oh, my God. And one of the daughters woke up one time while he was doing it, and she said she just closed her eyes because she was afraid if he knew she was awake, what would he do to her? Yeah. And they said they used to have, like, sleepovers and have their friends over, and he would always tell them to, like, dress up like rock stars and put them in, like, provocative outfits and have all the girls dance around and videotape them. What was their mama doing? She was gone. Oh, that's her, right. Yeah, She's gone. with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. She too busy to take care of them. Yeah. So in 1995, he sent them to live with their mother in California, which is what I initially read, but then when I watched the interview with the daughter, they went to live with the grandma. And then he Sounds sent them right. away because he was in a relation, new relationship with Amy Lynch, and he didn't want the girls in the way while he was in this honeymoon phase. Oh, that's, that's true. Which was actually the biggest blessing ever. Yeah. So the girls... When being a kid is not a drag. Yeah. Get me out of here. <laughs> Tiffany was going to come back and live with them, and the other daughter was going to stay with the aunt because she was having trouble in school. At this point, I don't think anybody knew she was autistic because they don't seem like the real kind of parents that do follow up with school and go to PTA meetings and, you know. Also, what was, you know, knowing what you know about autism, when did they, because girls don't get. Don't, yeah, demonstrated as often. as often or not diagnosed until much later, right? And I don't and, even know if they were diagnosing it at right. that point. Yeah. They probably would have thought what at that time was like they were putting all the kids on Ritalin. Like yeah. Everybody had ADHD. Well, there's probably a good chance that it was not ADHD. It might have been autism or Asperger's, you would right. think, right? And then what happens when you give somebody with autism like Ritalin? Well, a lot of autistic kids are ADD too. Because mm-hmm. like my son is. He's ADD and autism. Well, almost all the kids that I know with autism are ADD too. So... It probably just helps. Just happy accidents. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> well, hell, that cured one of the problems. <laughs> well, at least we're down one. <laughs> right? They were going to send Tiffany back and keep Amber there. That's when Tiffany Tiffany said she couldn't think of going back there without her sister because they just leaned on each other. So she broke down and told her aunt everything that he did. He was arrested, and he went to court and did a plea deal. He is fined. And escape prison time. No prison time. He just got some probation and some fines. Because, you know, 80s. I can't. Yeah. What the? I never understand it. Your own children. But had it been a drug offense? Because what that was, that was like after uh, uh, Reagan. And didn't they have like the say no to drugs thing? Like that was like <laughs> <The> dare. dare. <laughs> like when dare was at its peak, man. Yeah. Good thing is, because of that charge, he had to submit a DNA sample. Mm. So now his DNA is on file. Silver lining. So keep that little bit of information. We'll put that in my back pocket right now. Exactly. (laughs) And like I say, we'll come back to this later. (laughs) We're going to stick around. That's called foreshadowing, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Then, on October 19th, 1993, he then assaults, we're going to call her Selma Jansky. I was really going to say, I was really hoping it was Hayek, and I was like, oh my God! (laughs) Go her! Right? (laughs) This is a pseudoname. Um, it's a pseudoname that the author of The Strangler about him gave mm-hmm. the little girl because she was 14 at the time, and she did not want her name to be released, and it's never been released. Okay, then why not go for Selma Hayek, okay? I <laughs> know, right? Shoot, might as well call me Beyonce. 
I'm gonna take whatever powerful ass name I, I can. Think that Call name's me already Cher. Taken. I think that name's already taken. <laughs> Call me Cheronce. <laughs> so Selma was a freshman, and she used to carpool with her friends back and forth to school. She'd usually arrive home about three thirty. She just let herself in the home. She was like a, you know a latchkey kid. Got home, let herself in like we all did back then. Waited for your parents to get home. So on this day, she came home. She said the first thing she always did was check the mail because had one of those little slots that you put it in and it lands on your inside right. your house, you know. She said she picked it up. She seen a catalog. She went and sat down and read it, and then she went to the kitchen. She's walking to the kitchen. She heard a voice behind her say, "Hey." She turns around, and there's a man standing there. He has a bandana on his face. She said initially she thought it was a joke and it was just someone like trying to scare her. That's how you know it's a different era because if that had happened, no (laughs) ma'am. You want to know why she thought it was someone trying to scare her? Why? And this is terrifying because she said the way he was dressed, he kind of looked like a scarecrow that had just climbed off the post and was standing there. No. Yeah. Can you imagine being 14 years old and you turn around there's a scarecrow looking motherfucker standing in your dining room table talking about, hey. Okay, this is not the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to need you to get the fuck up out of my house. (laughs) So she said he looked at her and told her that he was just here to rob the place and he wasn't going to hurt her. He wanted to tie her up. So he proceeded by taking duct tape and wrapping it around her entire head and just left it open at her nose so that she could breathe. And then he bound her arms and her legs and he told her, I'm just going to take you in here. I'm going to finish robbing the place and I'm going to leave. He sets her down on the bed and start uh he had taken the cord from her alarm clock that's what he tied her up with and he said uh i'm just going to take your pants off that way you won't chase me when i leave out the house as we know that was not the truth because then he cut her panties off and then i won't go into the details of what he did there but he did proceed to rape her she said at a point that he stopped she picked her legs up to her chest and she kicked him as hard as she fucking could and he fell back into something She couldn't see anything. She could just hear. And she said very calmly, he told her, you're going to tell the police that it was a short black man. You're not going to tell my details or I'll come back and kill you. He told her he knew what school she went to. He told her the school. He told her the soccer field that she played soccer at, what time she was there playing soccer at Mm -mm. every day. Yeah. Mm -mm. So that's why I said with Carmen, I think he sat there and watched her and those stories of what they were doing were him watching her and fantasizing. I mean, like, it's already a huge violation to have someone break into your home. Yeah. But to then have Looking that like violation. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucking, no, sir. You, you definitely didn't have a heart. Or no, brain. Was it? I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I don't Shit. remember. But then you have him also starting to spit out, like, all the things he knows. These intricate details of your, you know, locations and your travels and it really, that it starts violating everywhere around you. Yes. School's not safe anymore. The soccer gym, isn't. Soccer. Yeah. My friend's house. Everything is now, that was once sacred, is no longer safe. There's nowhere I could go. And he said during his confession that he knew she went home by herself every day because he watched her. He'd watch her go to the house and unlock the door and go in by herself and watch what time her parents got home. So he knew that there would be nobody there when he went into her house and waited for her to come home. Which is terrifying because at 14, she doesn't know to be aware of people. She probably never even saw them lurking around. No, because at that age, you're just, what are you thinking about? You know, especially right. at that time, probably Tamagotchi. <laughs> Gotta get home and Is that when they had the little, the Tamagotchis were a little pet you fit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She thinks she gotta get home and water it. <laughs> you know, I know we died for the third time this week. 
<laughs> um, and like I said, he said during the interview, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's the kicker. He said during the attack, he promised himself he wasn't going to take any more lives because, you know, he was trying to be a Air Bunny's better person. He literally said he only raped because he was being a better person. In what <laughs> world? <laughs> you know what? I only murdered you so I could level up in life. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the final boss. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I, I he, he definitely has some some issues. So, less than a year later, on August 7th, 1994, trigger warning, young child, he kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and strangled a nine-year-old named Diane Reblo. Re- Reblo R. I know I'm messing that all up. Don't come at me. <laughs> gonna fuck this girl's memory up like this? Right? She's not gonna get burnt from just once, but twice. She was only four feet tall. Oh, no. And 60 pounds. Oh, God. Yeah. She's so tiny. She lived in the Houston Heights area in a small duplex. On the day of her death, her grandma, or her aunt, I'm sorry, sent her up to the little store up the street to get a bag of sugar. And he did that then. It's like, you've been in the Heights, haven't you? No, not... Okay, not really familiar with H Town. <laughs> I love going up and downtown, and uh, so the Heights is super nice. And, and well, you know, this was before it was really the Heights, though. Right, but there's like a lot of historic homes and everything, and so like in my mind, I'm thinking about these historic homes and the trees and everything, and it's just so like, yeah, scary. Yeah, she went up to the little grocery store, got the bag of sugar. The employee said they saw her leave, but of course, she never made it home. Anthony later said in his confession he seen her walking and just grabbed her. And he said, no one even seen me. He said he didn't think she was going to cooperate, so he went ahead and used duct tape to bind her. So, you know, he came prepared. You didn't just have duct tape rolling around in your fucking car. No. He then drove to a big empty building, and he said he was just going to molest her. But she fought like hell. He said she fought harder than the grown women did. And that was him giving himself uh, little allowances, little... Yeah. That's what my favorite podcast says. Little allowances that, oh, well, because she did this. Yeah. It allowed me to murder her brutally. You know? It excuses what he did because, well, that's what they did. Yeah. It's their fault, obviously. I mean, she was nine and four feet tall and 60 pounds. And How dare she even? Think? How dare she? Yeah. So, he said um, she fought like hell. He said he tried to have sex with her, but he knew it wasn't going to happen because she was fighting so hard. So, he just strangled her. Same thing. Little rod in there. But shocking, the fucker's lying. Because her autopsy showed she was violated vaginally and anally. Mm. A fucking nine-year-old who's 40 pounds. This stupid fucking bastard did that to The injuries. Yes. So tiny. You know, sometimes in your morbid way, it's like, was it a blessing that she didn't survive? Because... Could you imagine? Mentally survive that if you and physically survive. Yeah. Yeah. Physically, would she have even survived? Her anatomy's not made for that. Yeah. No, it's not. Eternal damage is just Um, they said there was no semen and they believe that's when he started to wear a condom because he started worrying more about getting caught. Now you are now you're now right. you're concerned, buddy. At this point, you see he's all over the place. He's killed a 21 year old. He's attacked a 14 year old. He's killed a 15 year old, and now a nine year old. So he really has no age. But 
I think it's more of how they look because the 21-year-old was so tiny and petite and she was only 5 foot 104 pounds and had very childlike features because she was so young. I think it was always about the children. These older women just, not even older. I mean, they were still children. It makes me think They looked of, younger. Um, so I don't know if you've watched like the Tiger King stuff. I have. Did you watch all like the side ones that they've come out with now? No, I haven't watched the new ones. So they have one, uh, Bhagavan Ansel. And it's all about him. Oh, yeah, with all the wives? Yes. Yes. And one of them, apparently, he likes young women. And he married her, married, bunny ears. What is it? Air bunnies. Air bunnies. Uh, and really young. I'm like 13, 14, like really young. And then when she got to be like 18 or 19, he pretty much admitted that he was more attracted to her when she was younger. And she had this realization that it was not about her. It was mm-hmm. about her youth. Yeah, and that he was a disgusting pedophile. Yes. And she actually, like, ended up getting one over on him. Like, she, um, like, put all uh, his shit on the bed and, like, took all this perfume and cologne and dumped it on the bed. Stole all the shit worth anything. Drove from North Carolina all the way over to California overnight and was, like, a big fuck you to this. Like, the balls of steel on this girl. (laughs) Like, amazing. But just that... How terrifying to be with somebody and know that, like, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what they're attracted to. Yeah. It was just because you were a child. Nothing a hepophile. A pedophile. Yeah. Well, that's what he is as well. So we now say there's no age limit to who he's going to attack, although it seems to be victims who look very young or are. So now, so what every typical killer does, Chomo, that's prison lingo for child molester, in case y'all out there didn't know. He's now using his this girlfriends. Is your, what is it? Sesame Street? What's your word of the day? Chomo. <laughs> <laughs> so he's now using his girlfriend's father's van. We as a Chomo the, would do. As they would. <laughs> with duct tape. And his dowel and ligature. Just keeps him in the van now. But you know, it doesn't mean to kill anybody. You know, in case you need it. for. Yeah. He's now a planned killer. So, little Diana... Was now was found the next day on a loading dock behind a building. Better than a Dairy Queen, I guess. Right, we're moving up. <laughs> Police were given a lead by a neighbor who described a van that frequented the area. So this is the first time that his victims are connected. They now connect her to Carmen because they how they both were strangled the same identical way and dumped behind buildings. So now they're realizing we got one person doing all of these. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. He only waits a year to do his next How victim. exciting, though, would it be to be an officer and be like, I've got it! I found the pattern! Like, like, <laughs> I've made my career! I'm the one who took it! The tourniquet killer! Or whatever, you know, I can't stand you! <laughs> Nobody can. I'm too much. But you're probably 100% correct. <laughs> <laughs> On July 6, 1995, is Shore's next victim. He kidnapped, raped, and strangled 21-year-old... Dana Sanchez. This one's really tough, too. So at the time, Dana lived with Since her friend. a friend here. I know. <laughs> she lived with a friend and her friend's boyfriend. Dana was two months pregnant at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. How old was she? 21. Oh, my God. On the evening of her murder, she was going to tell her boyfriend she was pregnant. So she went up to the payphone up the street and called someone to arrange a ride. During Shore's confession, he said this is where he sees her, and he offered her a ride. He said he saw her walking away from the payphone, and she looked all pissed off, 
and upset, so he swung in and offered her a ride. Of course, he's got to be the hero, saving the damsel in distress. I bet you she was not upset. I bet not either. I bet he's making all that shit up. Because, you know, he does that, what'd you call it? Accommodating? Acknowledging? Oh, the little, uh... Little, little accommodations. Allowances. Little, little allowances. allowances. I knew it started with a name. Two double letters side by side. <laughs> it's a trend. It, it it's is. A <laughs> so he said he offers her a ride. She accepts. And he said he started heading down 45, and he already starts having fantasies about a relationship oh, with her. I know. So he said he pulled over and began to make advances at her. I keep forgetting that this is Houston. And then it brings it crashing back, and it's yeah. like, Ugh. Yeah. Because most of these all happen near Westheimer. Yeah. He lived off Westheimer. Which is even a little bit more terrifying when it's actually, like, areas that you know. You've oh, driven. Yeah. Places you walked past, driven exactly. past. She rejected him. So he said he grabbed her by the hair and pulled her into the back of the van. He said she was fighting so hard that she even bit him and drew blood. Good for you. Bad Good bitch. Girl. So he did what he did. He tied her up with duct tape. She continued to fight and struggle in the same manner. He claims, once again, he didn't rape her. He just strangled her because she was fighting so hard. And then he took her body to a field and dumped it. Seven days later, they got an anonymous call to a local news station, actually made by Shores himself. Which directed He needed his... that body to be found. Mm-hmm. He needed some... That was like another thrill for him. He yep. needed it. That secondary. He said the first phone call, they didn't take him serious. He had to make two phone calls before anybody believed him and went and found the body. You know when somebody they got found fired her, after that. I know, right? I said, anybody calls and says about that body, just got to look. look. <laughs> we got to look. <laughs> just do a drive by. You're out the window. You just a little peek You know what I'm saying? Like, what? I, I, I don't know. Maybe the phone line was blowing up with spotting, so they're like, fuck, we can't keep going and looking. But I just, I, I don't get it from the outside. Someone says the body's there. You go take a peek. Like, how many times have you been called this week about a body? Okay, go check it out. <laughs> right? So when they found her, she was bones already after only seven days. Because <gasps> July, Houston heat. And probably some scavenging, too, I'm probably. Yes. They describe in the Strangler very detailed what her body was, how it looked, how it had been picked up from the animals. But I'm not going to describe all that in here. So Dana is the last victim that is connected to him or that he admits to. So we're just going to do a quick timeline of what he did for the next five years 1998 he started to write an autobiography about his life and his attraction to his daughters sexually yeah you know what who wants to read that you know what you what's even better let me document my crimes let me document how i'm sexually attracted to my daughters and i molested and raped them who fucking wants to pick that up off the shelf and read it that's my light reading okay that's open book of the month. <laughs> right? Jesus. Sick motherfucker. In 1999, Amy, who he had married in 95 when he sent his kids off, said that he started to physically intimidate her then. He wanted to choke her during sex. Shocking, because that's what he did. He then proceeded to drug her and choke her while they were having sex. She said that's when she started believing he was going to kill her because it got to the point where... Well, you're drugged. You're like half waking up during it. And then he was choking her so severely she was passing out and going unconscious. So she knew that he was going to kill her. So she filed for divorce. He met another woman, started dating her in 1999. In 2000, he gets arrested for cocaine. In 2001, uh, Pauline Cody, who he dated in 99, broke up with him because guess what? He started drugging her, raping her, and strangling her while having sex. (sighs) 
And then, on Christmas Eve of 2003, he's arrested. So back in 98, when he was convicted of molesting his daughters and had to submit that DNA, Mm -hmm. in 2000, once technology had evolved some, they pulled Carmen's case out where they had collected DNA from underneath her fingernails. You know what I love is when I hear about stories like that. Like, we didn't have the ability, but we still tried. Exactly. We still gathered it just on the chance. Yep. And then they kept it. Yeah, that whole time. And it was legit and good and still viable. And that's what saved the fucking day. You know what I mean? Yep. So, the results were not immediately available. All I could find was there were some problems at the lab, and the lab got shut down. So, I don't know what was going on in there. Shifty. So, right? They had to send it to another lab. And in 2003, his DNA matched the DNA found from underneath her fingernails. And she was he was arrested. Well, after only 11 hours into his interrogation, he confessed to the murders of the women we talked about. They only charged him with Carmen's murder because they had all the evidence they needed. And they were seeking the death penalty, which he requested. So, he never got charged, like your case, or arrested or penalized for the other murders just the one but he did get the death penalty for the one so during the interview they asked him why he switched to a tourniquet and his reply direct quote was because i hurt my finger while murdering tremblay piece of shit he went to trial in 2004 he like i said he asked for the death sentence the jury found him guilty in less than an hour his only living victim testified during the sentencing phase. And Shore was executed by lethal injection on January 18th, 2018. Not oh, that shit. long ago. I saw that long ago. Yeah. At 6.28 p.m., he was 55 years old. Before the execution, he said, I made my peace. And his last words as they injected him was, Wooey! I can feel that. Yeah. So, now we're going to talk a little bit about the other people that we think he killed, Okay. If you're like me, I find it hard to believe that he started killing in 95 and stopped in 96 and just had the four in that time period and the one assault. Especially since he carried the ligature around. He had the duct tape. He did all of that. I don't believe that. So, we're just going to list them. The only time they ever, like, have a period like that, it's got to be some kind of significant life event. Like, they're in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, Gary Ridgway stopped because he was happily married for once for a period of time. Um, things like that, but it's never it's never without reason. You don't just stop. Right. Unless he stopped because he was must raping his daughters. I don't and know. And he was man. getting what he needed from that, which Ugh. is horrible to say. Yeah. I don't know. So September twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six was Laura Tremblay, which he confessed to. Now September twenty sixth, nineteen eighty eight, two years to the day that she was killed is when Sandra Charles and her nephew, Marcel Taylor, were killed. The only thing that makes me think he's not for this is they were killed by stab wounds to the neck, and he hadn't stabbed anybody in the other ones. Um, But they were found in a field a mile and a half from where Shore lived. So, little sus. Little sus. Just a a wee bit. Texas executed Preston Hughes for the murders. Where I found a lot of this information in the interviews was the skeptical juror. And he actually does an extensive outline about Preston Hughes and why he believes he was an innocent man murdered. I didn't get too deep into it because, boy, I was getting deep into all kinds of other side stories. Oh, yeah. That's when I started going on that one last week or last episode. It was like, 
that conspiracy theory on how he died and it had to do with a whole other mm-hmm. thing and it's like hold up now not even my story <laughs> yeah I'm going down rabbit holes here that I mean, means it's exciting <laughs> table it's just put that away for later exactly that's gonna be at three o'clock in the morning I can't sleep, sleep. exactly <laughs> Do you know last night I couldn't sleep? Sorry, side note, guys. And this is, I um, I literally picked up my phone to text you and tell you, I can't sleep because right now I'm wondering why we can do a heart transplant, a lung transplant, but we can't do an eyeball transplant so blind people can see. I oh, laid shit. in bed thinking of that and... Asking the real questions. <laughs> That's what my mind does. Why? Why can't you cure blind people? You can transplant a heart and lungs. Why can't you transplant an eyeball? Tell me Seems about that. so much easier to me. But, and plus, what do you lots, do? Of, lots of supply. Deal. There's I two feel. in every person. Exactly. You know, one fails, you at least got the other one. Right? But yeah, that's, <laughs> that was so bad. You got the other one. That's where I laid awake thinking about and couldn't sleep last night. So anywho, back to here. February 2nd, 1989. Mona Lisa Espinoza, a 16-year-old girl, went missing. Uh, her body was discovered in 1991 and she was a Jane Doe until 2001. Her disappearance was 22 miles from Shore's house. But they have no idea how she died because obviously it took so long to get her bones. But she was in the area that he traveled, that he worked as a phone man, was the age of the victims that he liked. Also, as a phone man, you know he had to know some real spots of just... Exactly. mm -hmm. Just hiding out and watching people. And he probably didn't realize how much the bodies being found excited him until later. So imagine how many were hidden and didn't get seen. Exactly. The next one was December 15th, 1989. Jane Doe Westheimer. She's still a Jane Doe. Still has not been identified. She was discovered at 5433 Westheimer Road in Houston on December 29th. The body was nine miles from his house where he was living at the time. There's a lot of young... Well, we don't even... They didn't say how old this young girl was. Um, because I don't know. Yeah. A lot of dead girls showing up real close girl. to his house. Real close. Careful. <laughs> Next was... September 8th, 1990, Stephanie Bueller, 18-year-old female. She had a flat tire on Westheimer Road, which was his girl's wood area. Learn how to change your tires. Well, she was only half a mile from home, mm. so she turned around and started walking back home. And uh, her car was located four miles from his house. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of dead girls showing up real close to his house. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> May 16th, 1992, that's when he murdered Carmen Estrada, that he confessed to. October 19th, 1993, is Selma Jansky, the 14-year-old girl See, that this survived. is where the pattern starts making more sense. Like, exactly. It's like closer and closer together. And yeah. This one, I'm not so sure that I... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. This is one that I'm like, 100% he did it, bro. May 13th, 1994, Trela Sykes, 16-year-old girl abducted as she walked home from school. Her body was discovered in a field, mm. and she was beaten and strangled. Hmm. Yeah. The field was located 18 miles from his house. It was less than seven miles from the apartment complex where he had previously lived. Oh, well. Yeah. So, seven miles from where his previous house was. Next, only a few months later, October 7th, 1994, that is where the little nine-year-old Diane, where he killed her and admitted to it. July 6th, 1995, Dana Sanchez... Shores confessed to murdering this young pregnant woman. I described that that one earlier. That's where he supposedly stopped. Two years later, on June 7th, 1997, Erica Garcia, 14-year-old girl, discovered in a vacant lot. She had been raped and strangled. A lot of vacant, empty, 
lots, lots like he and did. parking lots and mm-hmm. back alleys. And raped and strangled like he did. Close to his house. Um, but not him. Not but not him. him. Mm-hmm. So the hospital was 18 miles from his residence where he was living at the time, but only five miles from his previous residence on Tula Lane. Erica's attack was similar to Shore's acknowledged killing of little Diane. Diane was sexually assaulted, strangled, dumped behind a large business building. Now, this is a December 8th, 1998, Melissa Trotter. She's a 19-year-old girl. Was abducted. When she was abducted and murdered is a little debated. Mm-hmm. Um, her body was discovered in Sam Houston National Forest 25 days later on January 22nd. Or January 2nd. They think it was December 8th that she was abducted. She was strangled with one leg of a pair of pantyhose. The interesting thing about this is when he was confessing to one of his crimes earlier, they asked him, what did you strangle her with? I believe it was the first girl, Tremblay. And he said, I think it was a pair piece of her pantyhose, one of the links of her pantyhose. And they said she didn't have pantyhose. And he's like, oh, well, then it was a cord. And while he kept telling them about it, he kept going back and saying a leg of the pantyhose. And mm. this little girl was strangled with the leg of the pantyhose. You messing up your murders. And- yeah. I think he was getting things well, when you kill that many people, it's like... You start losing... Yeah. Well, it's like so, what Ted Bundy said. Like, you you kill so many people, you start getting messy, and you start getting brave, and you leave, like, tools behind, and... Yeah. Because it starts... Caught. You're not so nervous anymore. It becomes, like, a regular thing for you, unfortunately. Um, Larry Swearinger was convicted of Melissa's murder and was sentenced to death. But like I said, there's a lot of debate about that because the thing is... They found her 25 days later, right? After she was abducted. And she was barely decomposed. But, like we talked about earlier, the one little girl was missing for seven days and was almost bones. Now, it was cooler weather. It was December. But there ain't no way you leave a body out there and it's barely decomposed after 25 days in Houston. Because even in December, we still got hot days. We were just 80 degrees a few days ago. Yeah. And she's barely... So, see... And then we have buzzards and shit. You know what I mean? Right. They're sticking to that 25, or, um, that date because it, it fits with Larry being responsible. If it were a shorter time period, he would have been in jail. So they're saying the 25 days to fit their agenda is what I feel like. But I am not a law enforcement. Ugh. I don't know all the this details of the case. This is why the death penalty sucks. Because there's so many people who have died innocently. And it sucks because you can't truly know some cases for sure. Because right. Because only the killer and the victim know. So, And that's where I come into that gray area on the death penalty because there's part of me that's very for it and part of me that's very against it because you can't undo it if you execute the wrong person. No, you cannot. You can't be like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Take back. Take seats back. <laughs> but then the other part of me is after working in corrections for as long as I have, you know, these guys that do bad things, their families still come visit them. They meet women and they get married while they're in oh, yeah. the pen. And they still essentially get do, to live a life. We should do an episode about that one time. Women of, because uh, that's like oh, actually yeah. a, a condition. Like it's a name for it where you're excited like it's like a. Yeah, it's called your Barrow, Barrow syndrome or something like that. Like Clyde Barrow, you like the bad boy. So you get really so excited. So different than bad boy. But and they yeah. think it's like a trigger that's a primal trigger that um, harks back to oh, well, this is the dominant male, and he'll protect me and our young. Oh, okay. You know. Okay, cool story, bro. (laughs) 
But there's like a messed up switch in these women's heads. So they're yeah. like, oh, well, he's not going to harm me because I'm with him. You keep that enemy really close, he's not going to fuck you. These Until women you piss are, him off. Yeah. And then he then, well, fucking hacks you up in your then, sleep. He can't hurt oh, anybody. You're right, you're right, you're right, yeah. <laughs> Some of the motherfuckers get out, though. Oh. So. What is it? Uh, uh, somebody else is about to think about to come up for parole um, the co-ed killer. Oh, really? Yeah. He's never going to get out, but... But, you know, I, I heard, listening to some podcasts, that apparently a lot of states have laws that every so many years you have to do a parole hearing, regardless if they're actually going to even remotely get California out I think California is one of those states, because I think Manson had to go, but they were like, you ain't Yes, never. Manson did. And I'm like, um, so they have to for what purpose? To waste... The state's money, because that's really all I feel. But, you know, I look at corrections and inmates different than a lot of people from working so long in there. Oh, yeah. You know, I for another time or place, that discussion. We'll just leave it at that before I go down my rabbit hole in that whole thing. <laughs> so then, last but not least, 1999, Amy Lynch, his friend, or I'm sorry, his second wife that he nearly strangled to death when he kept, you know, drugging her and raping mm-hmm. her and choking her. When he was to be sentenced, she was waiting on the courthouse door to file divorce papers the first morning the courthouse was open after Shores attacked. I'm sorry, that was before his trial that she did that. And that is the story of Anthony Allen Shores, the tourniquet killer, a.k.a. piece of shit. (laughs) Well done. That was good. I had never heard of him. I had not either until... I was researching. I came across a picture of his daughter, and I was like, I have seen her before. And so then I went back and watched an episode about him. But all the episodes that I could find were more geared towards the daughters and what they experienced and them telling so they didn't focus on his crimes a lot. So this was the first time that I really heard about his crimes. And there was some talk that he was the I-45 killer and dumped the bodies in the killing fields. But, like, the rangers and whatnot came in and said, no, they don't think it's him. But... The victims, like we all know about the one of the notorious victims right up here on the on the street up the road from us where we live. Last place she was seen was at a payphone mm-hmm. and walking away from the payphone. And that's part of his MO is to pick up these young girls and give them a ride and strangle them. And that victim was found in the killing fields. So not far from where she was picked up. It empty field. He liked empty fields or buildings. I mean and what are killing fields? Empty. Exactly. Except for the dead bodies. Now I couldn't find anything talking about if they had, like, DNA and that's why it wasn't his or whatnot. But I plan on doing the I-45 killing fields at a later time. So then maybe can dive into it then and find out why they don't think it was him. Which is a really good unsolved one. It is. And we're going to go to the killing fields before we do the story for a little spookiness. So we can tell you guys. I'm so excited. I know. There's, like, a memorial behind a church where near all the bodies are found and stuff like that and I've been to that but like I want to go see more spots and see more agreed yeah stay safe keep your head on a swivel and don't bring it too close to home if you like listening to us you can find us on Facebook at too close pod or under the Instagram handle too close podcast also if you have any stories of your own too close to home experiences shoot us an email at too close to home at yahoo.com thanks for listening